Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. There are those times when I meet people that not only teach me things, but make me laugh at the same time. And Wendy, you are absolutely (laughs) one of those people, Wendy Sterling of, and this is why you're all going to love her too, Wendy has her own podcast. Name of the podcast, Wendy, is? The Divorced Women's Guide Podcast. Excellent. Thank you. And great topics. I I went through it. But here's what we're going to start with. We're going to start with your trademark. And your trademark is the divorce rehab. Yes. Just one second. I want to precede this because I loved your little slogan. So Wendy's slogan, if you go on her website, is I do, I did, I'm done. I love that. that, Now that fits into the rehab, right? Yes. Okay, rehab is an acronym, and would you please take us through it, because I think it's so cool. Yeah, absolutely, and Judah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today to speak with you and to share my wisdom. So rehab is an acronym, and we'll start with the R, um, which is all about reclaiming your identity and voice. So all of us that go through divorce, at least in my experience personally, as well as with my clients is that we all tend to lose ourselves in our marriages. And many times it is because we are, you know, it's something we learned from our childhood or it's something that we just got on autopilot, just being the people or being the person that everyone saw us being or they imagine us to be or they want us to be. And so what ends up happening is that we look in the mirror and we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. And it's really hard for anyone to move through the emotions and to really start figuring out what life gets to look like on the other side of divorce until it is that you figure out who it is that you are and what it is that your voice sounds like. And the thing that I'll tell your audience is that it's not, sometimes it sounds really daunting to people like, oh my God, I have to start all over. And here's the secret, you guys, is that it's not about starting over per se. It's about digging deep inside and finding you. You're still there. That that part of you is still inside. It's really a matter of you learning how to recognize who that person is, remembering what it is that she sounds like. And that was my biggest hurdle was thinking that I was starting from nothing. And it's not that you're not starting from nothing because you've been through so many experiences with your partner, with your kids, through life, that it has molded who you have become, but your essence is really truly still the same. So we start with reclaiming your identity and your voice through values work. So Values can be things like integrity, it can be community, it could be honesty, connection, love. And really, I I drill down with my clients to find out what are those top five values that are your ride or die. Like you cannot 
You can't live without them. They are how you ladder back up to every decision that you make. And once you figure out what those values are, number one, you'll realize why your marriage fell apart. That was my first epiphany. And number two is that it helps you to identify and to start creating boundaries. So the way in which you're really able to start reclaiming your identity and voice is learning where you end and the other person begins. And that's exactly what a boundary does. When you lose yourself or you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, like me, my ex had, has narcissistic characteristics. And so I never knew who he was or who I was. I just knew who we were collective. We were like a run on sentence. <laughs> you know, it was always Wendy and James, Wendy and James. And it was never Wendy. And yeah, it was definitely, you know, James had his identity, but I didn't know who I was outside of him. And so setting boundaries was a huge challenge for me because for the first time in my life, I wasn't going to be a people pleaser anymore. And it takes practice and it takes recognition of where it is that you have blurred yourself because until you set those boundaries in place, people aren't going to know how to interact with you. People aren't going to know what it is that you tolerate and you don't tolerate. I don't know about you or anybody listening, but I would love to know people's boundaries because that enables me to know how it is that they want me to interact with them. And so we have to start there because without that, there is nowhere to go. So we spend a lot of time digging into the R. <laughs> okay. So before you go on, what yes. was the value that you, or values that you uncovered that allowed you to move forward and see your, redefine yourself? Yeah. So the value that I learned that was my number one value uh, was honesty. So as Judith, you know, because you've heard my story and for anybody tuning in, if you know me or my story, which I do share, my ex-husband uh, had an affair. And so what I realized was that my number one value was honesty and my number two value was respect. Two of the things that I felt completely were betrayed by him. And honestly, I betrayed myself. I betrayed myself with those values in not being honest with what my intuition had been telling me previously. I talked myself out of it and not respecting myself enough to use my voice. So those were my number one and number two. Um, my third was connection. Um, many times, you know, connection can mean a lot of things to people. For me, connection includes family. It includes friends. It includes love. It includes... Um, connection. Uh, you know, so, so connection to me means a lot of different things. Um, that, that is the strongest word that encompasses all of that for me. So those were really my top three that I like, I realized that I hadn't been honoring in my marriage and clearly my ex-husband was not honoring my values either. And it was not the place for me to be with him did anymore. It, did it start when you were dating? Did In order to be able to date successfully and move into marriage, did you start compromising from the get-go? So it's interesting because I, you know, I, I believe I did. So the reason I believe that is because I grew up in a home of 
Holocaust survivors, first generation. I was first generation born here in the United States. And so my family came to this country wanting to fit in, right? Wanting to be all in, all American. And they came here needing to learn a language. And it was all about like, we don't want to stand out. And so what I came to quickly realize was that what that meant was becoming a version of me that everyone else saw, which would then in turn fit in. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm speaking at an event tomorrow where I talk about, you know, how I, I lived a life of should, like I should all over myself, right? I should do this. I should do that. And part of the shoulding that I was taught was that I should marry a doctor or a lawyer because that's, that's the American dream. You marry a doctor, you marry a lawyer, at least in the Jewish community, right? And so for me, it was really about who fit the mold of what my family expected of me and would be a good husband, right? Now, my ex-husband and I, we met when we were 18, we met in college. Like We had a wonderful relationship. He was my best friend. And I do believe that there was a time where I did stand in my own identity. You know, I feel like with college, that's kind of what you do, right? You're testing the waters. You're kind of trying to feel things out. But because he and I attended college together, we were dating throughout college. We were still... It was almost like my identity was being merged with his as we were growing up and getting older. And so I do believe that a lot of who I became was a result of not, you know, it's almost like I passed the baton from my family to him to kind of help me figure out who it is that I'm supposed to be, what it is that I am supposed to do. And here I was, you know, thinking like, oh, my family is going to be so proud of me. And I do believe that I lost a little bit of, uh, of, of sight of what it was that I wanted right? Regardless of what my family's dreams were. Now, that's not to say that he didn't check so many boxes of mine, right? We got married at 25. <laughs> we were young, um, you know, and, and we were building our careers and, you know, and, and looking back, I don't have any regrets other than I wish that I stood up for what I wanted more often in the beginning because what ended up happening was I just stopped trying because I felt ignored, I felt unseen, I felt unheard. And it was because by the time I started using my voice, it was almost like it was too late because I had already... I had already allowed everyone to believe who I, who I was. And so. I I wanted to say one thing because you're so eloquent and and I love this. When we, all of us um, are young and we're done with college or we work after high school, we're not going to college, whatever. We're still forming ourselves as Mm -hmm. adults. We're nowhere close to being the fully formed human that we hopefully will be at some point in time. So we all have an idea of what the perfect person would be for us. That either comes from our family, like you, you know, that your family does put forward who they would like to see you marry, man or woman, doesn't matter. And then we have our own ideas 
about what would be good for us, what would look good for us, what would be good for us. Mm -hmm. And I think in that process, it's so easy to lose yourself. So as we're doing what you said, because we all do check those boxes, we are not ready for the right person to come along who's not really in a lot of those boxes. At least the package looks different. And yeah. please don't laugh at me, but I have been binge watching Sex in the City over the Easter weekend. And there was the, epi- the series of episodes where Charlotte York yep. started going out with her divorce attorney. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Charlotte was an Episcopalian. The divorce attorney was Jewish, bald, you know, by all standards, not not hot looking, but I thought he was adorable myself. Nicest guy in the world. Neither of them checked the boxes that their families told them to check, and they were all looking in other directions. Mm-hmm. But if they, but they were true to themselves eventually, just like you said. And this uneven match became the best match ever. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I'll also tell you, I, I didn't really know myself in my twenties, you know, exactly. I, I know who I am. I got to figure out who I was in my forties. That's when I really truly stood in my power of, of who I am. Um, and, and I don't believe I would have gotten here had I not been with him, had I not gone through our marriage, had I not had our kids, had I not gone through our divorce. I wouldn't, you know, sometimes the universe hits us upside the head with a two by four. I'm one of those people. Um, and I'm grateful for it because it woke me up. It woke me up to start living my life because life is so short. It is so short and, and you get to make the most of every single moment. I don't want to look back on my life and have regrets, right? People on, you know, people don't ask you, you know, or people don't remember you for, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I want people to remember me for the person that I was. That's how I want to be remembered. And so that is what I focus on now and why that R is so incredibly important as you're navigating this journey. And see, this is what I I was really liking about your whole philosophy as a divorce coach, because I'm reading something that I love from the website, the right combination of accountability Mm-hmm. Tough love and bold coaching. That's your philosophy. Yes. I love that in what you just said, you kind of placed that on yourself. I love that. And the next thing coming up, you're going to talk about E, the victim. Your whole approach is you got to stop being a victim because life is a journey. Yes. And every, if you look at everything the right way in terms of, okay, how can this help me? How can I learn? Then let's go to the next letter E. That philosophy is perfect, please. Yeah, of course. So the E is about ending your victim mindset, a.k.a end your pity party. Now we are so, so trained (laughs) to be handing out those invitations. Come to my pity party. Oh my God, I can't believe this. And you won't believe that. And could, you know, he's going to regret this. And, you know, you, you stay in this place of victim and to know if that's where you're at or not is if you are somebody who continues to point the finger and every sentence you say starts with you. 
you did this, you did that, you're, you know, you're this, you're that. And that was me, right? I wasn't taking any responsibility. I was, you know, he broke up our marriage. He's the reason that our family isn't together anymore. He's, he screwed this up. He hurt me. He hurt the kids. And until you recognize that that's where you're at, nobody wants to hear that they're a victim. I mean, it hurts when, you know, somebody tells you you're a victim. And wouldn't you like to know that that is how people perceive you? Because when you are lamenting, right, there's a difference between venting and releasing and literally staying in that place in every aspect of your life to the point where people don't want to be around you. And so it's really important that you have somebody calling you out and letting you know you're still stuck in this place. So what I help my clients do is recognize what it is that is contributing to them staying in this mindset. And what that, do, what that is, is your negative inner voices. Those inner voices that are saying, you know, oh, you, you did this to yourself. Oh, you this, that, or the other. And, you know, you, you, you created this for yourself. Way to go, Wendy. And so until you start recognizing those inner voices that are talking at you, that are talking really loudly at you, you're not going to be able to know that because of those voices, you're choosing to stay in a victim mindset. Because when your head is telling you what an idiot you are, how stupid you are, that you're a failure, what do you think you're going to do? You're going to go out on a rampage and start, you know, victim, you know, victim vomiting is what, you know, kind of what I call it. And so I teach my clients to recognize those different voices because there's ones that can be a little sneaky that people don't always recognize or realize. And I'm, I'm very good at hearing it. So like, for example, if somebody is in, you know, it's, it's, um, judgment. It's typically those little judgment voices that you don't know that you're, you're saying to yourself, right? Little things like, oh yeah, well, you know, I know I should have done this, but right. The word should and ought tend to be the sneakier ones that you don't realize that you're saying, but those are actually really negative things that you're saying because you're basically telling yourself that you're not doing something right. And so what I teach my clients to do and, and how we stop throwing out invitations to the party is we learn what our actual inner truth is, right? By asking ourselves, okay, what about this is true? Well, did I fail in my marriage? No, my marriage failed. So the truth is that my marriage failed. It's not that I'm a failure. It's not that he's a failure. The marriage failed. So based on that truth, what is the facts? What are the facts that you have actual evidence for? Not the assumptions, not the, well, they, you know, in in the past, I hear that all the time. Well, I know it's true because in the past... No, it's not true. What I'm asking for are facts based on this moment. So learning how to distinguish what your inner truth, that's the little teeny tiny quiet voice that's trying really hard to knock on the door. But because your critics are so loud, it takes practice. It takes, uh, you know, a couple of steps that I teach to be able to quiet those inner voice, those inner negative voices, and to turn up the volume on what I call your inner truth. And in order to do that, you have to learn how to love yourself, good, bad, and ugly, your flaws and everything. And to step out of the land of fear, because fear is false evidence appearing real, 
And until you get out of the land of fear and you step into the light or love, you're not going to be able to truly hear and recognize your inner truth. And one other little thing about that, I wonder, and tell me if you think this is shallow or superficial, but do people look at themselves in the mirror enough? I mean, the actual mirror, because I think a lot of times if you spend a minute or two just looking at yourself in the mirror, it's a really good place to just center yourself so that your mind doesn't create, because your mind is the one that creates the fear and all of that. What do you think about that? So I think that's a really interesting question. Um, You know, what I find is that when people do that, and I did this, is you only see the flaws. Oh. And that's what I used to see. And so what I help my clients to do and what takes practice is acknowledging the flaws because that's what makes you you and also focusing on what you love about yourself, right? Like, I love my eyes. I have beautiful green eyes. I've got amazing, real, they're mine eyelashes, right? I've got great eyebrows. I've got great... Your eyelashes are real? Yeah, they're mine. (laughs) Oh my God, her eyelashes are super long. She does have excellent eyes. And if you you. use her for coaching, it's one of the nice... (laughs) When you're on a Zoom call, she's very attractive. Thank you. You're so sweet. (laughs) You know, so, so I've had to learn how to see beyond, right? Like I'm also in a place where I'm still working on my, my health and, and I've got some pounds to go and and what I want to lose. So I could stand in the mirror and look at myself and go, you know, oh, you know, look at, look at that extra skin or, you know, you used to look different than this. And instead I don't. I celebrate that I have this amazing body of mine that I get to wake up with and I focus on the positives. And so a lot of times you don't, all you see are the negative, right? I I talk about how when you look in the mirror, you don't know who's looking back at you because you're, all you're seeing is the negative. And so what I help to, to convert is to look at right? The glass half full instead of looking at things with the glass half empty, which is how the majority of us choose to live our life. And so, you know, good for you that you look in the mirror and you take a moment and you appreciate, you know, this is where gratitude practice comes in. I mean, I am so grateful every morning that I get to wake up that, you know, I get to live this life that I am breathing that, you know, I... I have gratitude for my cup of coffee in the morning, right? God bless the coffee. Um, You know, so I think that, I think that divorcees don't see the positive, that they just keep looking for the negative. And until you embrace and you love that part of you and choose to focus on the beauty that you bring to the table, then you're not going to get into that, you know, reflection where you actually do see yourself. And, and see yourself as, you know what? Not bad. Right. Not bad at all. We're human. We're perfectly imperfect human but it, beings. But it's we live so much in our heads. Yes, And we, do. we don't have that reflection coming back at us. And there's positive value to everybody's physical image. Sometimes I just think it grounds you to, mm-hmm. to all of a sudden look at yourself and, 
okay, all right, this is good. This is yeah. good. Okay, let's go on because I, I, you kind of touched on it, but let's do it a little bit more, the H. Yes. So the H, uh, we then move into healing all wounds. So when you go through divorce, you're healing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of elements to your marriage that go beyond just the union, right? So it's mourning the loss of your best friend, mourning the loss of the family that you had created, mourning the loss of the dreams. Sometimes it's mourning the loss of the financial security. You're mourning perhaps the loss of the extended family that you're no longer going to have. You know, there's all these different elements and, you know, grief is a real thing. And in divorce, you're grieving multiple areas of your life. I never understood at the time until I went through it, how many wounds I had to heal, how many times I felt salt being poured into my wounds. And typically the way in which we heal those wounds is feeling through all of it. The short, I tell my clients, I say it on my podcast, I preach it all the time. The shortcut to healing is feeling through everything and feeling through it without judgment, right? That's what mindfulness is all about. It's acknowledging the thoughts. It's feeling what is going on, getting to the root of the emotion, not the story, but the emotion. I'm sad. I'm angry. I am frustrated. I am, you know, resentful, I feel betrayed, whatever the emotions are, to, to let it be free, to, to have somebody help you and hold space for you to release all of those emotions and to do so without judgment. You know, the whole, um, the whole healing of your wounds process really involves a lot of self-care. And this is where I infuse my energy healing into my program because a lot of it is that we are healing wounds across, you know, it's emotional, it's mental, it's spiritual. And so it's, it's cross-dimensional is, is kind of how I describe it because, you know, if anybody listening feels the way that I did, I knew that my ex-husband and I, we had an energetic connection that also had to be healed, that we had been connected in past lives together that I could still just like, I... I could feel him. I could know when like something was going on with him. I just knew it. My intuition was just all over him and I just didn't want to have that anymore. And so I had to learn how to cut those ties. I had to learn how to self-care myself in those moments to figure out how it is that I get back to me, which is not selfish. I used to think self-care was selfish um, because again, I was a people pleaser and I did for everybody, never for myself. And so a big piece of, of healing is really learning how to care for yourself because until you do that, you're not really going to be able to step into figuring out you know, where it is that you lost your self-esteem, how it is that your self-worth took a dip in the toilet, how it is that you lost your self-confidence. And so that's kind of the train that you get to follow through that, that H process. Okay, so two things on that. First of all, if I, if we talked about this when we initially spoke, I don't remember it. And when I was reading through your website, cause I wanted to pull your background and I wanted to know how to organize for today. And I saw the word co- words, coaching and healing. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that you were an energy healer. 
I didn't yes. get that. Yes. I'm an advanced theta healer. So ah. yeah, it's an energy healing modality um, that is long lasting and it works with creator to heal, um, you know, to heal across multiple levels. Um, so those levels going into, you know, generational DNA, ancestry, wounds. This mm-hmm. is excellent. So this is, you know what, you could put a hundred divorce coaches in the same room <laughs> and everybody would bring something different to the table. That's why I, I love talking to everybody. Okay. The other thing I wanted to mention when you're talking about selfish is my background's in the entertainment industry. So I'm on Netflix watching documentaries about the most successful people in the entertainment industry. And what I learned from these people, the David Fosters, the Jimmy Iovines, the Clive Davises, is they had to put themselves first or they wouldn't be who they are and who they are, who they are, are, is, were, (laughs) one of those verbs, very important. To the, to the creation of other artists, to yes. the advancement of music, to our pleasure as the public. And I always wondered, with extremely successful business people, how they were able to say no to some personal things and yes to themselves first, knowing they were choosing themselves first, but they gave themselves so much fulfillment And maybe they weren't at every family dinner, but they were able to bring to their families benefits Mm -hmm. and then happiness to themselves. So could you speak to that just a little bit more? Yeah, of course. You know, I, I, I used to live in a land of either or, right? So it's either them or me. And now I live in a world of both and. So that means that everybody gets what they, it's almost like the kindergarten saying, right? You get what you get and you don't get upset. (laughs) And so, you know, that's kind of my philosophy when it comes to self-care and not seeing it as selfish because, you know, everybody likes to use the metaphor of, you know, the, the airplane oxygen mask. You put your oxygen mask on first, then you put the oxygen mask on your kids. And what I never understood was that I wasn't giving myself oxygen. I wasn't giving myself the opportunity to recharge and to really just get to be me because I was constantly wife, mother, or daughter. There was never a time for Wendy. And I wasn't able to really step into my authentic self. I wasn't able to really be me in any area of my life until I started putting myself first. And it didn't mean that other people didn't matter to me. It meant that you matter so much that if I don't do this for myself, I am going to have nothing left to give, right? I was constantly pulling from an empty cup and there it's, you know, and then what's left for me? Nothing. And so, you know, all the famous people that you talked about, 
to me, it's a both and, you know, it's, I get to take care of myself and I get to figure out how to make this work so that I still feel as though I am, I am giving because I am a giver. I am a huge giver in, in all areas of my life. The difference is, is that I don't give and take from myself. I give to me and everybody else. So it's not like I'm taking from my cup to give to somebody else's. I'm filling my cup and then I'm taking from somewhere else. People don't get to dip into my cup anymore because I did that for 40 years of my life and it didn't serve me. And this is what it looks like. You become angry, resentful at the situation that you chose, Yep, wife, mother, well, you didn't choose to be daughter, but you chose to stay <laughs> in, in the relationship. That was chosen for me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it's, it, you, the sign is you become resentful because you're not taking care of yourself. And I love the and and and, Wendy, because with all of these successful people, yes, they did choose to do their work first. But then when that was done, they came back to their family and participated in the ways that they could. And isn't it interesting that everybody understood? Yeah. Everybody does understand. Those times when I, I wanted to go visit my, uh, my mother and, and sister over on the East Coast where I grew up, once in a while, I just had to cancel the flight. Once in a great while, I just couldn't do it. With all the plans that were made, I had other needs. And it was shocking to me that they understood and didn't excommunicate me from the family. So to your point, and this is what you do in your teaching. Mm -hmm. 100%. That's where the boundaries come into play. You know, I had a client who, you know, her ex kept wanting their son on her days because he would get, you know, baseball tickets and her son and his dad really loved going to baseball games together. But it was getting to the point where it was sacrificing her, her needs, her life, her everything, because she was, you know, she was so afraid of what her son would think of her and she didn't want to rock the boat with her ex. And so I, we worked on, no, (laughs) no, that does not work for me. And we worked on how to communicate that to her ex. And guess what happened? She used it one day where he called saying like, oh, hey, I know it's your day, but I want to take our son to the baseball game. And she said, that doesn't work for me. No. And do you know what his response was? Okay. Yeah. You know, we, we make up these stories in and, and our head. Nicely. I, not, not as a, 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 an anger getting back at you. That's the other thing, because I like to right. work with communication with people. It's the tone of your voice. Yes. It's the way you sound. It's the words you choose. So it's not their fault that you always put yourself last. No, but, but we blame like, them. So be nice about it. Be pleasant right. about it. But then, I, yeah, I agree with you. Say... Say what you need to say. One other thing that you that I read on uh, on your background that I thought was great, and I think this plays into the point you're making right now, and that is our friends and family mean well, and they keep us stuck. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Uh, you know, we all have amazing support systems. Um, many of us do. Um, you know, I know that there's some people out there that perhaps don't. The problem is, is that our friends and family are, because of their discomfort with what's 
going on in your life, they're trying to move you out of it because it's uncomfortable for them. So, you know, for people listening in, I don't know about you guys, but for me, all I heard from my family and from all of my close friends, he's, he's better, you're better off without him. It's his loss. He's going to regret this one day. You're going to be fine. You're better off without him. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm in the middle of like the rug of my life being pulled out from underneath me. And none of that makes sense to me right now. (laughs) So, you know, you know, and there's even times where, you know, oh God, Wendy got divorced. Is it contagious? Because if, you know, Wendy gets divorced, then God, what does that say about our marriage? Right? (laughs) So it's, it's interesting, right? Because so we don't realize that people are, our loved ones are projecting their own insecurities onto us. And what's so important about going through divorce is having people around you that know what you're going through. If you're having a bad day, you don't want somebody, you don't want to pick up the phone and call somebody and have them go like, you're going to be okay. Just, you know, I'm here and I know this is hard and you're going to be okay. Well, that doesn't help me. What helps me is picking up the phone and being able to talk to my coach and say, I'm having a bad day. And for them to say, I want to hear what's going on. What is, what is so hard for you right now, right? I don't want someone to move me out of where I'm at. I want somebody to like sit in the quicksand with me, right? Instead of flailing around, you know, with them, I just want to sit in it. Because what happens when you sit in quicksand? You stop sinking. That's right. And so... It's so important to make sure that you're in a community of people who understand what you're going through. You can't describe it unless you've been through it. It it really, you can't empathize. You can can say, I love you. And you can say, I know that this is really hard for you. Great. Sit with them there, but don't pull them out by telling them that they're better off. We don't think we are in the moment. Right. No, well said. Well, well said. And even though you know it's a situation you have to leave, in a strange way, you don't want to hear your situation being bad-mouthed or him or her being bad-mouthed because then you have to kind of take a position. It's, yes, I agree with you. Just what does it feel like? Say what you're going through. Exactly. Yep. A, please, in the rehab, A. (laughs) Yes. So the A is all about accountability and acceptance. So once we've gotten through, right, and we're getting to that place of, you know, realizing our self-worth, building back our confidence, part of that process, it's kind of... um, the confidence part kind of straddles the the H and the A part where until you're able to take responsibility and accountability for your part in your marriage falling apart, it's going to be really hard for you to move into acceptance. Now, I'm not saying that you take responsibility for your spouse's actions, right? I don't take responsibility for the choices that my ex-husband made. I do take responsibility, though, for how I showed up. Marriage takes two people, okay? And you have to own 100% of your 50%. And it's not, marriages fail because of two people. It's not just because of one person. And we are so quick to point fingers, victim, 
Instead, you get to take ownership and ownership and account, um, excuse me, ownership and responsibility are very different. Ownership is, is, comes, in my opinion, after responsibility. So you get to take responsibility for how you chose to communicate. You get to take responsibility for, you know, the, the mistakes that you made. So for example, for me, I had to take responsibility for the fact that I had conversations in my head and I would get mad at my ex-husband because uh, we've been together 20 plus years. Shouldn't you know what's going on in my mind? Like, how do you not know what's going on in my mind? Right? That's how bad my communication was with him. I would pick fights. Why? Because I wanted attention. Okay. I was like a two-year-old in a 40-year-old's body. Right. So until I was able to say like, wow, I have to take responsibility for it. The ownership piece of it to me is when you go like, okay, I own it and this is how I'm going to change. So now based on what I took responsibility for, how am I going to show up differently? So, well, guess what? Wendy had to learn more than four emotional words that were in my vocabulary and I had to learn how to communicate. I had to learn how to be vulnerable in a way where I would be heard. I didn't know how to communicate to be heard. I thought the louder I spoke, (laughs) the, the better I would be heard. And man, did I have a life lesson coming to me around that. And so until you're able to really take responsibility, take ownership, right, and hold yourself accountable, then you can move into the place of acceptance, right? I was that person. I own that that's who I was. And moving forward, I want to be somebody different. I accept that I am now divorced. I accept that I have gotten to the place that I am at. And this has all happened for me. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be in the healthiest you know, relationship of my life with, with my boyfriend had I not gone through all of this because I am the best version of myself. And we're never done growing. We're never done transforming. So I also would encourage everybody listening that there isn't a finite point that we're all trying to get to where it's like, oh, we've reached Mecca and now the party's over. It's the destination. It's like a marathon. It's like an always on marathon. And I don't say that to sound exhausting. I say that, enjoy the view. Enjoy the view as you are running through this thing we call life. There's so much to learn throughout. I always try to find the silver linings. And you're not going to be able to do that until you accept where it is that you are in this moment. This moment, this moment, right? The only time is now. And so until you accept that, it's really hard to move forward. And a big piece of the acceptance part is self-compassion. It's grace and having faith that life is going to grow from here, that there is a new path that you get to create for yourself. On the other side of that, when you take responsibility for whatever your role was, whatever your choices were, and you don't blame, that's part of that, you're actually establishing control over your life and isn't yes. it the feeling of the loss of control that's at the heart of all this negative stuff it, yes. it happened to me not for me it yes. happened to me oh my god I did everything I could how could he or she do this to me 
Yes. And really and truly, we are happiest when we feel that we have control. Yes. So I, I talk a lot about we spend more time worrying about the things that we do not have control over instead of focusing on the things that we do. So you have control over yourself. You have control over your body. That's it. You cannot control how other people show up. You know, I, I also talk and teach about co-parenting. And so many times I hear, you know, my clients say, well, you know, it's never going to work. We're never going to get to a place because he's the one who needs the co-parenting course. And what I try to educate as it relates to this whole control issue is that, correct, you can't control how your ex is going to show up. What you can control is how you show up, how it is that you choose to communicate because that's all you have control over. You can't control if they hear you or not, but what you can control is is the language that comes out of your mouth. And it can be the same language over and over and over and over and over again, whether or not they choose to listen. But what I agree with you that the, um, you know, the, the root of the problem is that we get like the pot gets stirred when we feel less and less out of control. And so what I love to teach is how do you get back? How do you get back into a place of knowing what you have control over? right? Stepping back into that place, regardless of how the other person shows up, regardless of what they say, what they do. Because there's always a way for you to come back to that center of of yourself, of what you have control over. I mean, my ex-husband is never going to show up or be what I want him to be. You know, it, it took me some time to, to come to terms with that. And I now know how to stop getting angry and frustrated with him because I don't expect him to be any different. I had to change. I'm the one that had to shift and, and get to a place of accepting that that's who he is. This is who I am. This is how the relationship is going to be moving forward. So I get to shift how I I am coming into this relationship. Just a little devil's advocate for a second before we go to our last letter. Yes. B. Um, So in this process of uncoupling and rediscovering, changing emotions, changing communication, have you found that your former husband and father of the children changed a little bit too? And I mean for the better. So here's what comes up for me and how I want to answer that. I now see him for who he is instead of who I wanted him to be. So in that respect, yes, he, he is different to me. I'm different to him. He has commented many times how different in a good way I am. And he is showing up differently in a good way because I'm showing up differently. So it's kind of the chicken or the egg, right? But both, you could tell the story for both. So I believe that he's the same person. I just now see him for who he is instead of punishing him for who he's not. 
Okay, well said, well said. Um, I just want to add on to this. Uh, one of uh, one of Bill Eddy's books, Bill E D D Y Eddy, the yes. guru of high conflict communication. He said in one of his books, he gave an example, a story of mm-hmm. a, a real life story of a woman who wrote to him and said, I used your techniques, Biff, brief, informative, friendly, Mm -hmm. and firm, when talking to narcissists, well, not a sociopath, they're tough to talk to, Um, but but a high-conflict personality. She really changed her communication to make it very even, very open, no blame, and not really disruptive. And eventually, over time, he actually changed the way he spoke with her. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, this is great because we all have people in our lives, at least our extended families, who have issues Mm -hmm. and they can either, people will always respond to you in the way you approach them. And you can really exercise control to a certain point with this high conflict personality. And you said narcissist, and this is the big topic of the day, is narcissism and how do we figure out how to talk to a narcissist? It's very It's easy once you figure it out. You never blame them. You never make them responsible for you getting angry, but you still must control your end of your life. And it's the way you deal with it, the way you... um, It's how you show up and communicate, right? Yeah. You know... I think that we forget, you know, we get so, and, and this is also something that I talk about, we get so caught back up in our role in our marriage, right? I talk a lot about how we continue to play the wife or the ex-wife role. And in divorce, it's all about creating a new identity as mom or dad and taking yourself out of the marriage dynamic And creating this new identity as co-parent, right? As mom or dad. And that's where you finding yourself and knowing yourself is so incredibly important because then you can figure out, okay, well, as mom, how do I show up in this relationship? Like my ex-husband and I are probably better friends now than we were the last three years of our marriage. It was great to hear. You know, and Granted, our divorce was no bueno in the beginning, but that's how hard I worked. He worked. I know he worked for it too. And I do credit him for wanting us to get to where we are today. That doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, disagreements because we still do. I still get, you know, a little triggered by him. The difference is, is that I don't react to him anymore. I, I know how to manage myself and get myself to a place where I can communicate back with him when in a way that I know he'll hear me. I never knew how to do that when we were married. Right. And just to end this, um, for instance, 
something comes up, uh, he or she wants to disrupt the schedule, make a change in the schedule, Mm -hmm. or isn't going to be on time. That's a big thing, being on time. And it's always, you have to have plan B, because you know with this type of a personality, you have to have plan B. But it's like, no, that's okay. That's okay. No worries. So here's my schedule. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. So, um, you know, join in as you can. There's the and again. Two sides of something that can work, you choose. But it's not even saying, um, well, it's not even trying to justify you, but this is my time. But you always do this. No, no. It's, well, this is my schedule. It's an objective statement. This is my schedule. I get it that you're going to be late. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And then let them make a choice. Exactly. And and that's the thing, right? Is that we, we don't, it's all about perspective. And we think that there's only one way to get from point A to point B when there's a million ways to get from point A to point B. And you can still come up with a million ways by standing in your power, right? If you're unable to drop off at this time, I understand things come up. However, that means that either you're going to have to hire a babysitter or you're going to have to take them to this person. You're going to have to coordinate how it is, or I will have my nanny stay late. You're, I will send you the bill, right? So like, there's so many different ways that, you know, I love to brainstorm with my clients around what is it going to, what is going to work for them? Because if they're late then that's, yes, you could say that's my problem. No, it's not. You choose to make it your problem without communicating what is going to work with you, right? It all goes back to boundaries. Okay. So, yeah. So I have to leave the house at this time. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you can't get there, but I have to leave the house at this time and stop talking. Let them figure it out. Let them problem solve, if they will. I mean, I know you have to feel your way and everybody's different. Wendy, I would like to end with the B. The B. The B word, um, which is building. Well, that's that's my boundaries course. But um, the B is all about building a new foundation, right? So you've done all this work. And the way in which you, I believe, the foundation of building your new life begins with forgiveness. And that is self-forgiveness. And that was something that was so hard for me. I mean, I kid you not, it took me a long time to understand what self-forgiveness was because I kept going back to, I'm not forgiving him. I'm not forgiving him. And what it, what it, I finally learned was I forgive myself for choosing not to see what was right in front of me, right? I forgive myself for showing up the way that I did in my marriage. And until I was able to truly forgive myself and to trust in myself that I wasn't going to make these same mistakes again, then I could build the foundation by which now my beautiful brand new life, career, you know, family has has been created. And, And had I not done that hard work, I wouldn't be where I am today. And you know, Wendy, and we love where you are today. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being where you are today. <laughs> and I know we have no more time left, but I'm, I'm, I'm ending with a starting point for the next time we get together, and that's trust. 
yes. because one of your courses is on the three steps to trust again. So if there is infidelity in the marriage, you know, that's a big deal. And so trust, you know, is, is brought into it. And you need that for your next relationship. Yes. Trust that you're going to choose the right person. So self-trust. Yes. And then trusting the next person, but you will have a whole plan and an approach to figure that out when we have you come back. I would love to come back and share because trust was also, forgiveness and trust were really hard for me um, because I don't trust easily. I haven't my whole life. And I finally learned what that felt like and what that looked like again after my divorce. Yeah, that, that's a bit, and we all go through it. We all go through it. And, you know, when we say yeah. our vows at the wedding ceremony, and I used to produce entertainment for private events, and I would do a ton of weddings, you know, the West Side Weddings in Los Angeles, <laughs> Beverly Hills, Bel Air, Brentwood, oh, yes. I mean, they're Malibu, killer weddings. But I would stand back and say, boy, I would rewrite those vows so fast and make them so much more reality-based. Yeah. Uh, because they just aren't. And I think we start our relationships, our marriages with something that's theoretically phenomenal, but we're human. And so yeah. we set ourselves up for these unrealistic expectations yeah. that are very difficult to meet. Yes, they are. And I think, you know, we don't get married we don't get married with the thought that divorce is on the table, right? And we don't, you know, there's no courses that we're taking, you know, to to teach us how to navigate this process. And so, you know, it's really important to lean on the people that have walked the path in front of you that can teach you how to get there. Um, Because, you know, again, it's not something that we necessarily know, but I can definitely tell you that, you know, my vows in my 40s are way, way, way different than they used to be, um, you know, back when I was 25 years old. And, you know, mainly because I know myself so much better now. Absolutely. Wendy, so I know people will want to uh, definitely get in touch with you. How do they do that? It will be in the show notes, but for those listening. Yeah, of course. So please feel free uh, to check out my website and get on my mailing list, wendysterling.net. I'm also on pretty much all social media platforms. So Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, LinkedIn. Um, But my handle on all except for LinkedIn is uh, at Divorce Rehab with Wendy. Um, You can also check me out on my podcast, the Divorce Women's Guide podcast. And I also, uh, you know, you can find me pretty much, you know, anywhere and everywhere across the interwebs. But um, if you guys are interested and and need support, I have a wonderful network of colleagues. So you're welcome to schedule a call with me as well. And you just go to contactwendy.com and get on my calendar. So thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And I can't wait till we have a second meeting. Me too. (laughs) Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Judith. My pleasure. And thank all of you for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. Please share this with anybody you feel needs it. Subscribe if you haven't already. You can certainly provide topics to me through my email address, Judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. Judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com. And as always, have an amicable day. That's our show for today. 
Thank you for joining us. Be good to yourselves, be kind to your spouse, and cherish your children above all else. 